0: To put this back afterwards, but there we go. I always find it's in the way I'll give it back to you after Ross. I love Joseph. What a character. He's one of these people that you look at Joseph, the life of Joseph, and you think, he's somebody who grasped what spiritual maturity means. there's a kind of character you read through in the Old Testament and you make comparisons, you need to think, is one of these people who shows up the areas in our lives where we haven't grown, or we need to grow, or maybe we have grown? It's a little bit like First Corinthians 13 on love. If you start reading that. Uh, <laughs> what a conviction you come under sometimes when you're reading where you say love is patient, love is kind. It's all of the things somewhere in us where we're not And it kind of shines a light on us and we think oh oh to be like this and i suppose the life of joseph and the character of joseph gives us i hope some aspiration to grow in maturity into spiritual maturity and to grow into christ ourselves irrespective of the experiences of life I'm going to take my jacket off. Lovely warm church you've got here. Sometimes a bit too warm when you stand up. There we go. It interests me the way in which people interpret life and circumstances according to their core beliefs and their personality types. You know, the same things can happen to a group of people, different kinds of people, and we all make different interpretations of it. I have a friend who explains people's behavior by a a science called Enneagram. Some of you might have been in psychology and exactly what I'm talking about here when I say say Enneagram. Enneagram basically numbers personality types. You're either a one or a four or a six or something else. And uh, she says uh, things like, well, he's a six. That's what a six would do. And she kind of looks at people and understands them in this way. A six, for instance, here's a a six is the committed, security-oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, responsible, and trustworthy. Excellent troubleshooters. They foresee problems and foster cooperation, but can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious. Running on stress while complaining about it. They can be cautious and indecisive, but also reactive, defiant, and rebellious. And if that's you, you're a six, according to Enneagram. Anyway, she has me down as a four, but I'll not go into the details of that. Although, I think I prefer the Myers-Briggs one, and I'm one of the INFJs, apparently. Introversion, yes. Intuition, feeling, and judging— but not judging the sense of being judgmental, but uh, preferring order, organization, and sequential thinking. That's the kind of personality that I am, according to Myers Briggs. And there's a lot of truth in the sciences that describe different personality types. But there is also a lot of faith involved in how different personalities work out the meaning. Of circumstances and I don't know what type of personality Joseph would have come up as but what is clear is that faith played an enormous part in the way in which he evaluated the circumstances of life to illustrate how people different kinds of people evaluate circumstances in different ways if we go to around about 587 BC, when uh, we're talking about the exile, we're talking about the Babylonians who come up with their great armies, and they besiege, they surround Jerusalem, and finally the walls crumble, and the city is destroyed, and some of the people are killed, and others are carried off into exile, whilst those that the Babylonians weren't particularly interested in are left behind. And all of a sudden, there's this huge paradigm shift in the minds of the Jews as they're seeking to grasp and understand what has happened to them. And they try to understand it. They try to explain it, but they don't initially have an explanation for it, because their understanding to this point in time is the the God of all gods, the only God, Yahweh, has made a covenant with us, and there's always going to be somebody on the throne in the line of David. Therefore, the walls of Jerusalem are impregnable. It doesn't matter who comes against us. We shall never fall. And then it does happen to them. And they're in a faith crisis, and they try to make sense of it. For the Babylonians, it's not a faith crisis at all. It's a simple answer. We are bigger and stronger than you and they interpret it in a secular way, in a sense. But the Jews were a people of faith, and they had to somehow grasp the meaning of it within the context of their understanding as being the people of God. Their conclusion is that they had been unfaithful. They had broken the covenant, and it gave rise to the movements like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees being so meticulous about uh, obeying the law right to, to, to great extremes in order to somehow uh, renew their commitment to Yahweh, who had brought about this punishment and brought about this outcome since they had been unfaithful to the covenants. And we can come up with both rational and irrational explanations when things go wrong or when people come up and do us harm. And we can be in truth or in error. The faithful Christian who interprets being in, afflicted suddenly and unexpectedly in one way or, an, or another as in, interpreting that as an, a punishment from God and, or a, a test of faith is being irrational. They're coming to the wrong conclusions. A faithful Christian who expects bad things to happen even to good people in our fallen world has had some experience of life, has some understanding of Scripture that enables them to discern God's presence with them, even in the difficult circumstances that they're going through. C.S. Lewis wrote, I expected God to wallpaper the room of my life and hang pictures. Instead, God started to knock down the walls and build other rooms, explaining that He was making a palace in which to dwell. How about Joseph? We're coming to the Bible reading, by the way. I always like to put my Bible reading in the context of where I'm going with the sermon. How about Joseph? By faith he saw that the hand of God was with him all the way through, even in the most difficult and most painful experiences of life. His appraisal of his bad experiences at the hands of his brothers is found in the reading this evening, particularly in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives you intended to harm me but god intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives we go to be, begin the reading in genesis 49 just from verse 1 and jacob called for his sons and said gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Then he blessed his sons, including Joseph, saying, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. Verse 26. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of joseph and on the brow of the prince among his brothers and then later on when jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons he drew his feet up into the bed breathed his last and was gathered to his people and then we move to genesis chapter 50 the first three verses Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full forty days, for that was the time required for his embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. And Then we'll move to verse 15. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We'll leave the reading just there. I'm just in charge of the slides here, so I'm just, uh, well, the slide, there's only one it's coming into bullet points here, but we've got the first of them here. Joseph could identify the patterns of God because he understood the ways of God. He'd identify the patterns of God. In the series so far, we've looked at how Joseph handled, amongst other things, some difficult situations, betrayal, temptation, disappointment, and all sorts of strong emotions that he must have felt. Were it not that his brothers had sold him to the Egyptians who had never gone through all of this, it had that trigger point early in his life. Now his brothers are afraid. He may be holding a grudge against them, just waiting for their father to die, and then he's going to turn against them. They don't really know their brother after all of these years. So, this is a situation where Joseph's brothers are seeking to understand who he is, what he's going to do, and they're unnerved by the situation. Their father has gone. And they judge Joseph by their own standards. They fabricate a story They go to Joseph and they tell this story to Joseph about how his father had said, please be nice to your brothers. And Joseph weeps over this. I don't know why he wept at that. But I I understand this as a fabrication. For if, if Jacob had said that to his brothers, he would have said that to Joseph as well. But his response is this. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And here we see the outcome of not only Joseph's understanding of the nature of God, but also prayerful reflection that he has engaged, engaged with along the way as he has looked at the circumstances and continued to look to God. And as the Holy Spirit has inspired him, he didn't have the Old Testament, he didn't have the New Testament, but he had a relationship with the author of the Holy Scriptures, by which he was able to understand something and gain insight into the ways of God that enabled him through prayerful reflection to see that God had a purpose in it all. Indeed, we dare say, he had an understanding of the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? It is a reference to the supremacy of God. God is sovereign, and I suppose to put it simply, it means that God is in control. God is in ultimate control. There are, Some things that God cannot do. God cannot deny his own own nature. God cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his nature. He cannot sin. God cannot sin. God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot force anyone to love him. That's our choice. He has given it to us. God cannot forgive sin without there having been a repayment. God cannot forgive sin without justice being satisfied. This is why Christ went to the cross. If God could forgive sinners, it didn't really matter. Who cares about justice? If that were possible, Christ would never have had to go to the cross. But Christ, the only Son of God who was perfect, Went to the extreme in pain and suffering, giving his perfect life to satisfy the just requirements of the law, that we might be forgiven, that we might see him as our substitute and as our representative, and through faith in him, seeing him pay the penalty for us, our sins might be forgiven. It's the gospel. But over all things, God is sovereign. God is in control. There is an element of mystery to this, particularly when it comes to the matters of the issue of suffering. We may ask why it is that God does not intervene to protect people when terrorists go in and blow themselves up in arenas in Manchester who do indeed live in a fallen world, in which God has given humankind freedom of choice, free will. We get to choose. But we will also account to God on the day of judgment for the choices that we have made, whether good or evil. However, knowing that God is sovereign in grace and in power can be of comfort to us when we go through difficult times because we know he is still in control. He will set parameters around this. He will set limits upon the suffering that we go through. We may not understand it at the time, and it calls for us to have a strong faith, a meaningful faith that trusts even when we don't understand until later, though wrong has been done, inexcusable wrong has been done against us or others. For people of faith, we can discern that God in his sovereign grace and will can still bring a, great, a, better, a purpose from it. It doesn't excuse the wrong but it does not make the wrong totally negative and destructive. Something good comes from it. Do we have a faith that can interpret life in this way, in the way that Joseph interpreted life? What do we make of it when other people succeed in spoiling our lives for a season? Do we think that God has abandoned us, that God is not in control, that Somehow, God doesn't care. Do we become disillusioned with what we thought was going to happen in the Christian life, with God decorating our rooms, as C.S. Lewis puts it, with wallpaper rather than knocking the walls down? Joseph discerned the hand of God and the good that was to come, even though he had been sinned against by his brothers. And it's something if we move to the New Testament that the Apostle Paul has also also sees. He who was was stoned, imprisoned, and beaten for his faith. He writes in Romans 8 28, and in all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. But we might say, well, surely it's just in the good things. No, in all things, God is at work. And God is with us as the people of God and as people of faith, even in the adversity of life. God can bring about blessing even through the most difficult experiences that we go through. We rarely see it at the time. And I think it's not a time for clichés. Sometimes we just need to listen and be there and be supportive of one another when we're going through hard times. Our house has been burgled, someone's been mugged, whatever it might be. But it's retrospectively, when we trust God through those times, we will be able to discern something good coming out from it. God is sovereign, which means that there's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe outside of God's influence and authority. And understanding this, that God is sovereign, helps us to interpret life and circumstances with faith. The second of my points here is that Joseph could discern the presence of God at every point in the past. He could... He could discern the presence of God. He, he, He must have thought in terms of domino effect here. Okay, let's go back to this. Let's go over this. My brothers sold me to the Egyptians to be a slave. And they were about to take my life. My brothers, my flesh and blood. But had they not sold me into slavery, I would never have arrived in Egypt. But what about Potiphar's wife? Had she not lied about me, but then if she'd never lied about me, I would have never ended up in the prison and met the butler. And if the butler had waited, uh, not waited until the right time to tell Pharaoh about me as someone who could interpret dreams, I would have never have been able to go and interpret the dreams for him. And if God had not caused all things to work together for good, then I would not have been able to tell Pharaoh the meaning of the dream and become governor of Egypt. And if I had not understood the meaning of the dream, I I would not have been appointed as governor, and no food would have been stored to feed so many in years of famine. And if there had been no food stored for all of my family, including me, we would have perished during the seven years of famine. He was able to trace it in retrospect, but he would never have understood it at the time as he was being dragged along in a procession to Egypt to be a slave. We could could add to this, if I had allowed myself to become embittered along the way, I would not have been able to hear from God discern his will and do what was right. But his brothers are very different to, to Joseph. They lack spiritual insight. They lack this, this relationship with God that he has. They think that Joseph bro- now that Jacob is dead nothing's going to stop them stop uh, J- Joseph from killing them and they come up with this story even offering to be slaves. And Joseph's perspective is so different. He, He sees that God is sovereign, God is in control, and God is causing all things to work together for good. So finally here we've got also Joseph could trace the purpose of God even in the worst of experiences, and trace the purpose of God even in the worst of experiences. Often we look at, uh, well, sometimes we look at Bible texts in isolation, and it's a mistake. It's always good to look at the context of the other verses that come before, of the verses that come after, and the historical situation, and the current cultural circumstances into which a letter was written. The text, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, is followed by verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In all things... God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the greater purpose. This is the greater purpose of God for us as Christian believers. What's more important in life according to the Word of God? Is it what we accomplish, or is it what we become in Christ? What is more important for us as Christians? Is it what we accomplish, or is it what we become in Christ? Is it that we become more Christ-like, or is it that we do many mighty works? 1 Corinthians 13 reads, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, and if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I, am, I gain nothing. Joseph was able to love. Not only his father Jacob, but also his brothers. Not only his friends, but those who at one time had been his enemies through what they had done. In closing, it is surely appropriate to mention another who experienced suffering at the hands of his fellow Jews, which led to an amazing outcome. The Lord Jesus himself is almost like Joseph is foreshadowing Christ here. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, we read, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see the offspring, see his offspring, and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. To handle life like Joseph is, in a sense, to handle life like Jesus. Joseph foreshadowing. Something that we see supremely in Christ, a Savior who suffers and dies at the hands of fellow Jews in order to open up the way of salvation for all of humankind. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, comes to a place of power in order that not only his own people, but the people beyond his race, beyond the covenant, remain alive. Those who do harm to others are without excuse. It was true of brothers of Joseph. It's true of those who crucified our Lord. And it's true of those who sin against us. What the story of Joseph teaches us And what the story of Jesus suffering on the cross shows us is that seen through the eyes of God-given faith in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. What might you have gone through that has caused you grieve? What might you have gone through at the hands of others that has caused you personal pain and made it very, very difficult for you to accept or forgive or to even to understand? Or what might you, you be going through now that is causing you such anxiety? We can all learn from the life and faith of Joseph. And if we're not going through anything particularly difficult at the moment, take a mental note. Go back to the story. Go back to the text in Genesis chapter 50, where we see the way in which Joseph concluded God had been at work for good. Whatever we go through in life, if our chief goal is to be like Jesus and I hope it is as Christians. We will be best placed to discern in the circumstances of life, even in adverse circumstances, the patterns of God, the presence of God, and the purpose of God through us, for us and through us in all of life's circumstances.